Welcome to Bike Talk, streaming in Southern California at KPFK, Western Massachusetts at Valley Free Radio, WMBR in Cambridge, and worldwide at biketalk.org. Today, we look at three podcasts that are aligned with the Bike Talk mission. First, host of the Active Towns podcast. John Zimmerman, Active Towns, welcome to Bike Talk. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I've noticed you have a lot of the same guests that we do and guests that I thought of having but haven't. It's fun. It's a it's a neat world and, and I'm a huge fan of Bike Talk. I try to catch uh, each episode as they come through. And uh, yeah, so I'm not surprised that we have a lot of the same folks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a small world. What would you call that world? Well, you know, in in my realm, since my background and the kind of the area that I'm in is really an urbanism bent on it. Um, My background is in um, health behavior and public health. But I really became fascinated with the uh, built environment and how uh, our cities are designed, um, impact health behavior and encouraging people to live a healthy, active lifestyle about 15 years ago. Um, Previously, for the previous 15 years, I was doing uh, disease prevention programs and healthcare cost containment programs for Fortune 500 companies, um, basically building programs on their corporate campuses uh, to decrease their healthcare costs. And uh, yeah, it it took a move, an actual geographic move from Boulder, Colorado to Honolulu uh, to, to really sort of open my eyes to, uh, oh my gosh, this is a hellscape in paradise. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I, so it sort of really, it, 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 it sort of emphasized to me that, um, what I had been doing in the first half of my career was building, uh, an environment to encourage healthy living and healthy activity, uh, on these corporate campuses. Um, but then when I was dropped into, into Honolulu and, uh, it was just like, oh my gosh, these streets are so incredibly hostile. Uh, it, I would, it was, it shocked me. It kind of got me out of my bubble a little bit. And I realized that I was a fish in water when I was living in Boulder for the previous decade and didn't really appreciate what it was like living in a, an environment where, it's bike friendly and it's also incredibly activity oriented. It is what I call the quintessential active town where a culture of activity permeates through all aspects of life. Wow. But you don't live in Boulder now. Do I don't live in Boulder anymore. I yeah. mean, you said uh, yeah. that, I know. But yeah, you, so you... that that was part of the awakening. Yeah, I moved from Boulder to Honolulu for a job. And, uh, and I only lasted in Honolulu for a year and then, uh, had an opportunity to move to the big Island. So the southernmost Island, uh, and geographically, they call it the big Island. It's the Island of Hawaii and, uh, it's called the big Island cause it's larger than the landmass of all the other islands and archipelago combined. So where are you now? So now we're in, uh, after a decade in Hawaii, now we're in uh, Austin, Texas, and we've been here uh, a little more than eight years now. So the Big Island was better than Honolulu? Yes. So the Big Island, uh, which is the, uh, especially on the Kona side, which is where the um, the Ironman World Championships is, is located, uh, it has, uh, you know, quite a few uh, decent bike routes, uh, especially along the Ironman uh, triathlon course, which is where I would tend to ride a lot. At the time, I was a participating Ironman distance triathlete. And so um, that's that's where the friction was when I was in Honolulu. Is I was trying to get out on my bike daily to train. And it was just 
impossible. It was, it, it got to the point where I was so frustrated. I, I, just sold my bike and uh, withdrew from Ironman Canada, which is what the race I was supposed to race that year and uh, bought a surfboard and joined a Hawaiian paddling canoe club. <laughs> so when did you start Active Towns? So Active Towns uh, as an initiative started uh, a year after I started my nonprofit, which is Advocates for Healthy Communities. And that was right around 2011. So it's been over a decade now uh, since I've had the, the nonprofit. And then Active Towns as an initiative was a spinoff and now has become a podcast and a YouTube channel. Uh, and so the, the podcast has been going since pandemic era. <laughs> so it was a 2022 project when um, I, I could no longer travel around the country, no longer travel around the world, uh, filming a documentary that I've been working on, launched uh, the podcast, Active Towns podcast in uh, March of 2020, so right when the pandemic started to take hold. And then I want to say in July or in the spring of 2021 is when I launched the YouTube version of the, the podcast and really started honing in on growing the YouTube audience. And so uh, now the Active Towns podcast and the Active Towns channel is pretty synonymous uh, out on YouTube. You said the world of your podcast, or at least the the guests are from urbanism and mm -hmm. you're from health behavior. It's an interesting mix. Yeah, I mean, I see the since that's my background as an exercise physiologist and a public health professional, I see the world through the lens of what would encourage people to live a healthy, active lifestyle. And, and it's always worth saying that when I say a healthy, active lifestyle, I don't mean becoming an Ironman distance triathlete, you know. Yes, that could be one aspect of it, yet one could lead a healthy, active lifestyle as a, a, a competitive, you know, marathon runner or triathlete or whatever, uh, or even not even competitive, just for fun. But what I really mean is the built environment, is it conducive of encouraging people to live activity as part of their lifestyle, uh, active mobility, active transportation. Can they walk to meaningful destinations in their area? Can they get on their bike and get to school? Can they get to work? Can they get to the grocery store? Things of that nature are now that, you know, I've really experienced that sort of epiphany of the built environment and how we've designed our communities. Uh, I kind of see things through that lens of what I call activity assets. Do we have the activity assets that encourage people to be able to live that sort of lifestyle? It's been quite an interesting journey starting out with understanding that difference between Boulder and Honolulu and then saying, okay, take a step back. How is it that we, we, you know, changed or we evolved into creating communities that are so antithetical to riding a bike and walking and taking transit. And that took me down into the rabbit hole of urbanism and town planning and traffic engineering. That's the, the fire hose I've been drinking from for the past, uh, mm -hmm. you know, 12, 15 years now. Yeah, I've heard people say once you see it, you can't unsee it a few times when it comes to our streets. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. In and, fact, I'll even say that, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it is, is like a strode. Once you understand what a strode is, a street road hybrid, and, and you realize, oh, yeah, we have these things everywhere and they're a disaster. I mean, a street road hybrid is, 
uh, you know, as Chuck Marone likes to say, it's it's like the futon of transportation. It's you know, the, it's not a very comfortable food, you know, uh, couch or bed. Uh, and uh, yeah, the 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 strode, a street road hybrid, is not very effective at doing either thing, getting people you know, from point A to point B as quickly as possible. It's not good at that. And it's also not good at uh, creating a platform of wealth, which is what our streets should be for. Our streets should be really for people because that's what streets have been for literally thousands of years until 120 years ago when the automobile showed up. As somebody who comes from the field of health behavior, this is the first time I've heard that term, but that's about changing behavior to be healthier? When you think of, of healthy behaviors, when you think of our habits and how our habits form, it makes complete sense when we take a step back and we say, oh gosh, you know, well, why is it we always reach for the car keys when we, you know, walk out the door to, to go to a destination? When you look at creating an environment that creates healthy behaviors, i.e., you know, walk that journey instead of uh, instead of driving or bike that journey instead of driving, you have to then take a step back and say, and re rewind a little bit and say, well, what would it take to make that journey be an active transportation journey? At the bare minimum, it has to be a walkable or bikeable distance. Okay. So that brings us into land use planning and, and the, and that sort of a thing, you know, are there destinations, meaningful destinations within that area? And secondly, is it safe? Is it inviting? You know, is it pleasurable? Is it something that's going to really encourage people to do that? Essentially, the way that behavior is, you know, translates into habit formation is whether you, you know, get that reinforcement, that positive reinforcement every time that you do it to the point where it just becomes habit. It just becomes natural. The inclination is there that, I would no sooner, you know, drive to my grocery store, which is only two miles away, because it's it's just habit now. And so that health behavior side of, you know, being able to create an environment which encourages people to naturally have that inclination to do it is about, uh, you know, creating a frictionless environment. You don't have a lot of things that are are, you know, barriers and not a lot of things that are kind of creating friction for you to be able to, to live, you know, that lifestyle, to make that choice, to be active. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. And uh, <laughs> your podcast is a way of getting people to see what needs to be done to make it more frictionless. In many cases, it is. Uh, one of the things that I really try to do with the podcast, with the YouTube channel in general, is to profile success stories. One of the things that I know as a professional, you know, is that it, it we don't get anywhere blaming and shaming. You know, that just creates divisiveness. And so what does get people uh, inspired and motivated to try to do something to change their environment is to see what is possible and to see that, oh my gosh, this really is you know, a potential that we could have for us. Uh, one of the great examples is the Dutch are known for having one of the most uh, bike centric, you know, you know, countries and societies. And the meme is that, you know, Hey, Amsterdam wasn't always Amsterdam. All you have to do is rewind the clock to 1972 and see that their streets were clogged with automobiles. Telling those success stories is a big part of what I try to profile on the podcast and on the YouTube channel. 
that, hey, these things are really possible. And so I try to profile the people, places, and programs that are the success stories wherever they exist, you know, around the globe. So I end up bringing people in from uh, from New Zealand, from Australia, the UK, uh, all over the Netherlands. So yeah, it's been fun. I just saw Mayor John Bowders of Emeryville and Chris Bruntley of the yes. Netherlands. John was interviewing Chris as they were on bikes somewhere in the Netherlands. And you've had them both on, and I've had them both on, and their success stories. And that they're a good example of the type of people that you would feature. Uh, depending on when this episode goes out, I may not have already had John on. <laughs> I have him scheduled <laughs> uh, to be on the uh, on the podcast. And, and yes, I've had Chris Bruntlett. Uh, he's with the Dutch Cycling Embassy. He's been on the podcast twice. Those are the types of people that I love profiling because uh, there's some really compelling success stories that they have. And uh, and that's that's kind of what we need. We need inspiring stories so that people can see what is possible. And the, the bottom line is that we're, no matter where you're at, no matter what community around the globe, there's going to be resistance to change. The status quo will resist uh, any kind of uh, of change, dot, 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 whatever that is. I mean, it could be adding sidewalks, it could be adding bike lanes, it could be lowering speeds on streets, it could be, you know, street transformations. There's going to be resistance to that because uh, just like I had mentioned earlier about being a fish in water in Boulder, if all you've ever known is a neighborhood where everything's car centric and you drive everywhere for everything, that's what you know. That's what's comfortable. And so change becomes fear-inducing and uncomfortable. And so we have to be able to first inspire people that what is possible and then start illustrating what that roadmap looks like. Pardon the pun. Nice. Thank you for sharing just a little bit about yourself and your podcast, John. I know there's a lot more, but Active Towns and John Zimmerman, changing the status quo by showing what's possible. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love it. That's a great tagline. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you. You're still listening to Bike Talk. Now we go to Omaha, Nebraska, home of Sarah Johnson and the Car Free Midwest podcast. You are car free in the Midwest. I am. I'm actually now car light in the Midwest, to be 100% honest. But uh, yeah, the podcast is Car Free Midwest to help people dream a little bit about what that could look like. <laughs> Since What's that's all your... we can do about it here is dream, apparently. Yeah. Uh, but you're car light now. So you. Yes. I you gotta... share a car with my husband. Yeah, we're a, we're a one car household. But I relied on just bicycles off and on a few times throughout my life in Omaha and um, Lincoln and Colorado. And yeah, health reasons now, uh, it just makes it a little easier to be able to, I, I ride only electric bikes now for unfortunate disability reasons. Um, and yeah, once in a while, pretty handy to be able to hop in the Subaru we share. Okay. Very good. And what's your podcast about? Um, we interview folks from within and without uh, the Midwest all over the place. Actually, we, we talked with Mayor John Bowders, um, from California not too long ago. We actually had an interview with Jeff Speck. Um, but mostly we we like to kind of highlight folks in the Midwest that are talking about and acting on, um, you know, car light or car free existence because um, Omaha generally gets labeled as a car town. 
And so we want to just help people remember that that's not the only people that live here. There's also folks here that try to get around without a car. Not everybody has the financial or physical ability to drive. So um, we like to just keep conversations going about not car dependent only stuff. We had Mayor Batters on last week. Oh, nice. He's fun. And like, I cannot even imagine having a mayor like him. It is, oh, that would be, yeah, yeah, not our reality in Omaha. That's for sure. (laughs) We have like the antithesis of him here. Yeah, I see. I've seen that exact reaction on, he's on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I guess you're on Twitter. And (laughs) you you see people in bike Twitter with suddenly having him in their pictures saying, we wish we had him for a mayor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's doing a good job inspiring and showing what can be done. And what I really liked from our conversation was how he kind of framed a lot of, I mean, sure, it's about, you know, not just having to drive everywhere, but he also talked a lot about just like care and compassion as a leader, which I thought was really refreshing because that is, again, not what it feels like uh, here. Yeah. Uh, Not everybody is in the right position for them. Yeah, that's true. That's a nice way to put it. And accurate. So speaking of politicians and who Mm. you've got, Mm-hmm. Sounds like you're a regular at your city council meetings. <sighs> yeah, I tried to tell myself I wasn't going to go again. And then I went back yesterday. Um, <laughs> honestly, it was mostly because I already had a meeting downtown and I was like, you know what? For old time's sake, I'll go and freaking scream into the void again. But yeah, I kind of have realized that it's a waste of my time and it's like actually not good for me <laughs> mentally mm. or like I was there yesterday like and I realized I was actually kind of like shivering like wow this is a this is a very specific stress response <laughs> cool but yeah I was there a lot I mean I, I've been back in Omaha since 2009 um, and at that point I thought I was only going to be in town for you know six months kind of regroup from a divorce in Colorado and then I thought I was going to move to the Pacific Northwest um, and then now it's been 13 years and I'm still here but uh, mm. a lot of a lot of those years have been Actually, all of those years have been spent in the bike industry, um, bike retail mostly, and advocacy has always kind of been actually what my passion is, but the retail job supported the passion. So find yourself at City Hall a lot, begging for the basics and continuing to get denied simple things. And it's really frustrating. Wow. Yeah. But you're, you're called to do it. You know, I'm like really struggling right now with what the heck I'm supposed to be doing because I feel like that is, um, yeah, that was not, it's just not the best use of my energy, you know, like going and talking at people who don't really care to be listening to what you're saying. Like perfect example, actually. So last week, our city council voted unanimously to support the continuation of this pilot project, this Harney Street bike lane, which is our only protected stretch of bike lane in the entire city. Um, So the the city council had full support. The mayor gets this resolution and says, oh, it's just a resolution. It's not an ordinance. So it's not really like a law. It's just a statement. So no, I'm not going to sign that. And we're ripping the bike lane out despite public pressure to keep it. Great data that Bike Walk Nebraska has put together because they are the ones who funded and installed and have been doing everything with this project. Um, And despite the city council's unanimous approval, the mayor just single-handedly said, nah, we're going to rip it out. At the cost of $91,000 coming from Bike Walk Nebraska, a nonprofit coming out of their pockets, where they had recommended 
using $40,000 of their grant money to maintain this lane for the next 18 months until it's going to get ripped out anyway by the city when they start the streetcar construction. So just wasteful, unnecessary, insulting, frankly. Yeah. And so the entire city council was in support of the protected bike lane. The data was there to support it. And this mayor, I don't know why we have single individuals with veto power. Exactly. No. Well, I mean, it's a strong mayor form of government, which I'm not a big fan of. I actually ran for city council um, to try. You know, that was kind of my last ditch effort last year. I ran for city council because I'm so sick of like standing in front of city council. I'm there every Tuesday almost anyway. Felt like I could get more done on the other side of the podium, Um, but I jumped into the race late. I'm kind of more of an activist and definitely not a politician. I didn't win. I made it through the primaries. I beat two other folks, um, made it to the general with about 5,500 votes. My opponent had, I think, around 8,000. Anyway, he won. Same old, same old. He's been there forever. Um, And yeah, the strong mayor form of government basically means the council is supposed to act as a check and balance to what the mayor does. But as we just watched, that doesn't always even happen. It's, It's pretty hard to try to participate in such a dysfunctional system. What do you go in and say? What kind of (laughs) arguments? Well, okay. So for example, yesterday, um, well, okay. So back up 13 years I've been doing this, right? So um, probably the last 10 years, it's really been more kind of concentrated, like more regular because we've had this, now she's on our third term, this mayor Stothert. Um, But once she got elected, bike stuff started getting worse. (laughs) Like she actually removed a different pilot project, which was the only bike corral on street bike parking that the city of Omaha had. It was in front of my bike shop. I had a bike and coffee shop in this cool little historic neighborhood called Benson. The neighborhood was behind it. Like we, we worked really hard to get it installed. Um, She ripped it out, did not have any data to point to as to why it was quote unquote a failure. Um, (laughs) So things started getting worse when she was there. So I was like, okay, you know what? She doesn't make all the rules. We will try to work with the city council and get some stuff done anyway. So, you know, I used to time my testimony because you get three minutes to speak into the mic. So I used to come with like all this data and all these anecdotes and lived experience and here's what's happening elsewhere and blah, 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 you know, like trying to change my tactics over time because I was realizing it wasn't really working. And yeah, uh, to the point that like, kind of opposite happened yesterday because I realized it's kind of a waste of time to go down there and try to affect their votes. So instead, I took a an opportunity yesterday to advertise a couple of protests that are happening Thursday and Friday instead of talking about um, I, I stood up as an opponent to a library demolition budget increase. That was technically what was on the agenda item. Um, and so I, I went up there and I was talking about originally the library and the spending and the budget and how the demolition project should involve bike lane detours, because right now it's just a total cluster downtown, like good luck getting anywhere. I started with bike lanes there and I said, speaking of bike lanes, people are really upset. The mayor's removing the bike lane on Harney and we're having a protest on Thursday night at Dewey Park and Friday at noon at City Hall. And Great. I got called off topic, um, but I didn't get escorted out in handcuffs, so I still did okay. They they know you there. Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. There was a temporary council person who was appointed when somebody else um, actually left the city council to become a state legislator. Uh, and the temporary appointment called me an outspoken critic and a radical. And she was actually a super far right extremist herself, um, who luckily didn't get elected when it came time to get her out of the way. But yeah, no, they they know me. They probably don't all enjoy my participation, but democracy, man. That's how it goes. They're going to rip out this protected lane or have they started doing that? 
Well, they're starting to do it on Friday at noon, which is why we're having a die in in the bike lane at Friday at noon. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's probably going to come out, frankly. Yeah, um, it's ridiculous. There's no logic behind it. So it's really hard to, you know, try to bring logic to some of these discussions when that's not how they're operating. Um, so, you know, protest is the language of the unheard. Right. So we're going to try some different tactics. And I don't know. I To be completely honest, I'm so burnt out and so disillusioned with the way that Omaha works and doesn't that I hate to say it, but yeah, I think the bike lane is going to get removed on Friday. Wow. Yeah. Breaks my heart. Like literally, so Mode Shift Omaha is a transportation equity nonprofit I helped start over a decade ago. And this Harney Street bike lane is kind of what was the impetus to get this group together, Mode Shift Omaha, because we're like, oh, wow, this is a really cool plan. Um, the transportation element of the city's master plan was being updated. This project got rated really highly. You know, they've done already enough analysis, surveys, studies, blah, 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 that in 2011, it was actually budgeted for in the I'm sorry, 2012. I think it was when it was budgeted for in the um, Omaha CIP, the Capital Improvement Program. Mm -hmm. And then it magically disappears as soon as Stother gets elected. So we had worked really hard to like get it funded, get it, you know, into reality. And then she comes along and removes it. She also fired our bike ped coordinator, the first budget she wrote. She ripped out the bike corral in front of my shop. She's ripping out the bike lane. Like it's just a joke. And she's wow. too powerful and it sucks. Sounds like she's on the the most wanted list, the Ugh. enemies, enemies <laughs> of biking. That's not wrong. Um, and I see why you're wishing you had Mayor Bowders. Oh, yeah. It would really be complete antithesis to what we're working with here. I don't even know what it would oh. be like to live in a place like that. But I am, we are, my uh, husband and I are moving to the Twin Cities in the spring because we're kind of done dealing with silly Omaha. Well, you'll be very happy there. I think so. I yeah, same. We've visited a handful of times. You know, my background in the bike industry, I've already got a bunch of buddies up there. And um yeah, I think it'll be good for change. All right. Well, Sarah, Car Free Midwest podcast, check it out and yeah. uh, keep fighting the good fight. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, you having me. It's always fun when folks reach out and say, what's going on in Omaha with bikes? Because it doesn't look good from where we're at. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't look good from here either. So the more we can uh, spread the word, <laughs> I think the better. So I appreciate your time. Nice chatting with you. You're still listening to Bike Talk. Now we have Leo Spinello, host of the BC Civilizados Radio podcast in Buenos Aires. This interview is translated by my mom, Barbara Richard. The program has been going on for about 10 years ago. Uh, we have more than 300 programs. It's always live. A lot of people listen to us on podcasts. We especially do interviews, themes like sports, art, en movilidad, Mobility. y hacemos muchas entrevistas enfocados en eso, pero también en cultura general. We do a lot of these things, eh, but also in general culture. Bueno, gente de, de los 18 años hasta los 50, people los from 60, radio solo online, que es una de las primeras radios online, first, uh, online en, en radio shows in Argentina. It's been going on since 12 or 13 years now. We have a physical office, of course, like a radio studio. We are three people who run the show. 
eh, yo soy el conductor, digamos, lo conduzco, lo produzco y dos personas que I me acompañan. I am the producer and two people help me, a young woman and a young man. Me acompañan en, en la conducción y They help me with the interviews. En las columnas, ponemos música también, por supuesto. And music eh, also, of course, there's also music. Separadores eh, que tienen que ver music con temas. Music goes along eh, with the the themes. Bueno, es un theme. so, radio, it's a radio show. Eh, más cercano al, al, a lo que aquí en Argentina We call it here FM, in Argentina FM, FM. Más, eh, más cercano al rock more, al, more al or less like rock y, or popular bueno, eh, the popular stations también hacemos encuentros físicos we also have eventos, events organizamos eventos eh, nos sostenemos o sea se sostiene económicamente um, gracias al aporte de algunos because some people ayudarnos con un poco de, pay us de dinero monthly. mensualmente y eso hace Because we want people in this period are much more interested in this. The city of Buenos Aires is helping out with the bicycle structure. It's changing, not in the whole country, but in the city. Little by little, there is a change with more open ideas about people who are. Riding bikes. There more, there's more facility for, for bike, bicyclists. The culture, biking culture has become much more efficient. A lot of people are getting around on bikes. Because often, often the bike culture is not all that civilized in certain places. Um, because the bike infrastructure is not visible, so people are not so motivated to ride their bikes. It's all a question of politics. But things have improved, no improved in Buenos Aires y, bueno, eh, in this regard. Spiritually, we would like a better, better structure for all of us to share, a better biking structure, because cars are, <laughs> we don't want to be run into by cars, we don't want to be killed by cars. Y mucho más en ciudades donde la eficiencia de distancias suplantada por transporte público y por la bicicleta, no por grandes autos Because eh, big, que son big cars are not efficient, they, they use up eh, a lot of energy, they cost a lot to maintain. En algunas veces puede solucionarnos algunas problemáticas, pero, Sometimes no, we can pero no es lo más eficiente. This is not the most efficient thing for this for the city. What are some interesting stories and guests that you that you remember? Me estaría olvidando de algunas porque son muchos años son. I'm forgetting a lot because there are some 300 programs. 
Seguramente que so me, I've, me I'm forgetting de algo, pero siempre hemos I'm forgetting something but we always interview a lot of um, tourists bicycling tourists who have been everywhere in the world so we've interviewed a lot of foreigners right now is coming to my mind a young woman who one day decided that she would make her bike hacer su, su herramienta de, de, de cambio propio uh, de norte Argentina y so she was going to go starting nada, from northern Argentina without knowing anything about uh, bike riding she decided to just get on her bike and go so she came, got out of the minibus and realized that Argentina is an extraordinarily large it's not as big as the United States, but it's a very large country. So she got out of her minibus with her bike, and she was just overwhelmed by the breadth of the Pampas. So she hadn't biked very much at all in her life. And she got out in the middle of nowhere. And at that moment, the landscapes, she looked at the landscape. She couldn't continue because the emotion she had, a positive emotion, was so strong, was so, so great. And she saw herself as being very small beside this, the, the grandeur of the countryside, the immensity. So she had to return to, in order to get her wits about her, to feel better. Finally, she did the trip again and, and succeeded. But she had encountered this, the, the immensity of our country. It just overwhelmed her. So this is something I remember very, very well. Muchas gracias. Do you ride frequently in Buenos Aires? I get around on, on bike about 90% of my time in the city. In all the entire city, from one end of it to the other. And it's a pretty, pretty large city. It's not the, the largest city of South America, but it's one of the three or so largest cities, and we have about three million inhabitants here. Travel around the whole city whenever I need to go someplace. I do it on bike. By night, by day. So about six or seven years ago, I got a cargo bike. Very, very trendy in the whole world. It's a long shunk with two wheels and a cargo in front. And I go everywhere with my daughter, who's eight years old. And we go every place we go to our school. Whenever we have uh, errands to do. No matter what distance, I do, I do it with There are various uh, train lines where you can get on the train with your bike. 
y you can get out of the es city, posible subir con la bicicleta y viajar varios kilómetros con la bici hasta un punto y pedalear lugar. From one spot y to another. no es tan difícil utilizar But it really is esas very líneas easy de to trenes, this, uh, subir con la bicicleta, bike, eh, ir a trabajar, por ejemplo, ir a estudiar, ir a pasear o disfrutar eh, nuestras zonas más rurales. Esa es una de las cosas que también so lugares maneras de pedalear en, en Buenos Aires. Está bien. Muchas gracias y mucho no, gusto. Igualmente. Same here. A big hug. Chao. Chao, chao. Bye. You're still listening to Bike Talk. Finally, interviews from the Will Bike for Food Ride finish line in Western Massachusetts. This is Stefan Ward-Wieden from Valley Free Radio, and you did the ride. Yes, this is my first time doing Will Bike for Food. Um, it was a great experience. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm definitely tuckered out, but um, I really enjoyed it. I, I ended up doing the 50-mile route, which is more than I usually bike in, in, a, in a sitting, but, um, but it was a lot of fun. So you're not conditioned for 50? Now, my, my usual rides are more like 30 to 40 miles. So, I mean, this wasn't a huge stretch, but it was definitely, you know, they have stops built in along the way where you can uh, pick up water and some snacks, um, which was very helpful because one of them was right at the, uh, the high point elevation-wise of the ride, so we definitely appreciated that. What did you think of the route? Um, I like the route, actually. I got to discover some new, some new like places to bike now, which is through this, which is great. Especially the the route from here out to Williamsburg is a new one for me. Um, so I'm gonna try to do that in the future. I think it wasn't super strenuous. The high point was probably six or seven hundred feet, so not ridiculous, but. We, uh, we kept a very good pace. We wanted to average 17 miles an hour and we hit it. Um, me and my, uh, the guy I was uh, biking with, um, who's not here at the moment, unfortunately, but, um, but he, he was pushing me and we were kind of pushing each other. So we, uh, normally my average is closer to like 15 miles an hour. Uh, so this was, you know, we were definitely trying to make time and, and, and I'm feeling it now, so. Um, but I like that. I like, I like stepping out of my comfort zone on the bike and, and kind of getting to try something new. What's your normal route? One of the kind of more strenuous ones is to go out on 66, Route 66 from Northampton and take that all the way up in, uh, through West Hampton and into Huntington and then uh, head down through Huntington until you take the road up to Montgomery and then up through Montgomery and then back through Southampton. So that's a big loop and that's a pretty strenuous, I mean, that's, you know, 2,200, maybe 2,300 feet of elevation gain. Um, this one was probably, this ride's probably more like 1,800, um, which felt about right given the, given the length of the route. I wanted something that wasn't going to be a super strenuous ride and, and they were pretty good about providing routes that weren't terribly strenuous um, but still still gave you a lot of chances to get good exercise. Do you want to tell me about the ride itself? Yeah, sure. It's a Will Bike for Food. It's an annual event, usually in August or September. Uh, it's run as a benefit for the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts as a fundraiser. So proceeds from registration fees and from donations, uh, you can go to the website and donate to a given team or a given individual. 
Those all go to the food bank, which um, is devoted to providing food for uh, families and individuals in need. Um, they do a great job, so it's for a good cause. It's a very effective way, I think, to get people involved because um, you feel a lot of camaraderie with the other riders. Um, I really enjoy that. I'm used to solo biking, but this was a lot of fun and getting to experience it with other riders, passing people and stopping with them. And it, it really, I think, gave us a sense that we were kind of all in this together and we were all working towards this common cause, making sure everyone can eat. Um, you know, it doesn't get more basic than that as far as I'm concerned in terms of uh, trying to do some good um, while also, uh, you know, getting some miles in. And you're at Valley Free Radio. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm a fellow DJ at Valley Free Radio. I have a, a Wednesday night show from 7 to 9 p.m. on Wednesdays called The Warm Heart of Africa, uh, where I, I play Afropop and um, Afrobeat and, uh, you know, things from the Afro diaspora, as I like to call it, uh, music that's kind of in that realm. I've had that show for about 10 years now, uh, which is a long time. I was not expecting it to go that long when I started it, um, but it's it's been a fun kind of uh, constant to my uh, my life. Well, it's good to know all of the sides of you. Yeah, <laughs> biking is something that I've I've really uh, it's my favorite form of exercise. Uh, during the warmer months here in uh, in New England, I try to do it as much as I can. So this is a chance for me to kind of try it in uh, you know as part of a collective group effort. My experience is very positive. I definitely want to do it again. Well, I want to do it next year. They have different increments, right? Yes. It goes 10 miles, 25 miles, 50 miles, and then there's 100 miles, what they call a century. I've never actually biked 100 miles uh, in one ride, so that's something for me to aspire to, I guess. I feel like I'd have to prepare a lot more for that one. They stagger the routes, um, so the starting times are all designed so people all get back in the early afternoon in time for kind of the uh, the after party and to eat some food, So, which is all provided for us here, which is great. The 100-mile people leave at like 7 in the morning, which was a little early for me. The 50 miles started at 10.15, which was a lot more manageable. And uh, we just beat the rain, too. We got back maybe uh, less than half an hour before the rain started. So um, that's another plus, because sometimes that's unpredictable here, of course. Yeah. You know, about the best conditions you can ask for. And I think turnout is really good. Uh, I, I, I did speak to some of the staff. They said, you know, this is about uh, what they would expect to get for the number of riders uh, pre-COVID. Um, I didn't get a number yet, uh, but I know that um, as of today, uh, everyone's raised over $200,000 for the food bank. And fundraising goes on for two weeks until the middle of October. I think October 15th is cut off. So there's still time for people to donate online. It's just, if you go to, if you search for Will Bike for Food, uh, Western Mass, it's, or go to the food bank's website, it's not too late to kind of become a part of it after the fact. And learn how to sign up for it next year, hopefully. All right, thank you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you, and this is a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad you're here, and uh, I enjoy that your show is part of Valley Free Radio. And um, it's nice to see more people kind of treating cycling as a, as a culture that we can all partake in um, and learning from each other. And, um, you know, certainly, I mean, every time I get together with other cyclists, I learn a lot because I'm, like I said, I'm used to doing a lot of things solo. 
Um, so sometimes I get set in certain habits and I need to kind of get, uh, you know, get taken out of them. And this is definitely that for me. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, um, it's great. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little, I'm a little heady right now because I'm uh, coming off the ride. I always get a little loopy for a couple hours while my blood sugar kind of resets itself. So uh, my main objectives for the rest of the day are to get home, take a shower, um, and uh, take a nap. Maybe watch House of the Dragon later. We'll see if I'm not asleep by then. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I hope you get a good recuperation, and I'll see you around the. I'll listen to your show. Thank you. Like yeah, likewise. It's um, everyone listening should check out all the great shows we have at Valley Free Radio, ValleyFreeRadio.org. It's an incredible. I've been a part of the station since I moved to the area ten years ago, and I couldn't be happier with the creative talent and the number of people that we've got here and the very unique and cool and esoteric um, topics of our shows. It's really a, I think it's radio at its best and community radio at its best. Very good. Thank you, Stefan. Thank you. All right. I am here with a family of riders. How long did you go? We went 25 miles. That's a good distance. And and how old is your youngest member? Uh, 12. Was that a, a lot for you? Um, I've done it before, but it was good. You're in condition for such a ride? Kind of. Okay. Do you think you were pushing it? A bit, yeah. And you've done this whole thing before? We have done it before, but we did it two years ago when it was a virtual ride. So riding on our own time and not as a group. So we rode on the bike path where there aren't any hills. First time with the group. You want to tell me about the ride and why you decided to do it? To support the food bank and because it's fun to ride and... It's a good challenge. Excuse to get out and get the kids exercising. Haven't gotten out on bikes much at all this summer. And it's good to finally get a long ride in. It might be the perfect weather. We ran into a friend as it started raining, and that made it much easier. Okay. The rainy part. Oh, that's nice. But yeah, it was cool the rest of the way. Pleasant. You going to do it again next year? Absolutely. Did you get a certain amount of donations? How'd you do? Our team raised over $2,000. Oh, we were the Hampshire College team. I believe we're the Hampshire College Sprocket Society. <laughs> there were five of us riding on three different distances. Um, I think I raised 200 and something dollars. Do you want to say your name? Karen Sullivan. Well, thanks for coming out and earning for the food bank. Thank you. I'm Orion, and my friend uh, showed me this event like last year, and it was really fun, so then I invited Henry to come. And you're Henry? Yeah, I'm Henry, and um, so my friend Orion just said, hey, you want to come do this bike thing? And I was like, okay, sure. How, how long did you do? Uh, we just did 25 miles, so it wasn't that long. Yeah, that's what I did last time, too. I feel like I could have done 50, but today, I mean, was not the day to do 50, I feel today just doesn't feel like the day to do 50 or did you sign up for 25 and then that's what you did yeah i signed up for 25 this year but i feel like next year i could definitely do 50. and your mom brought you yeah have you all done it before i haven't done this book before but earlier this year me and my dad biked to new york city so and your dad is a world biker yeah he biked around the world when he was in his 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s so yeah i mean his whole life 
You're local, you're from Cummington, I yeah, think? Yeah, I am. We started just up in Windsor and went all the way to New York City. It was really fun. All right, what kind of bikes? Um, I just got mine today because my old bike was like, it was like a Trek, but it was like uh, way too small for me. So I got a new one today um, from like a guy, uh, but I think it's like a Schwinn. Uh, it's like, it ha it's like kind of a mountain bike frame, but with like road-ish bike wheels. Okay. So fast enough? Yeah. Yeah, my dad has like a bike shop in the basement of his house. So mm -hmm. there's a bunch of frames laying around. And I found this, I don't know what the brand is, but it's this um, brand from the 70s that just made ro um, yeah, road bike frames. So we threw wheels on, I, we did the brakes, we did the gears, got new seats, new handlebars, and put, all, put it all together. And it, and it worked? Yeah, it's fun. Right. Did you raise money? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, me and my mom raised like, I think like $1,100, and that's for our team, so yeah. Thank you for your yeah. biking. Of course, yeah. Hi. I'm kind of a reporter, yeah, for, it's a podcast called Bike Talk, and uh, did you just got to the finish line of Will Bike for Food on a Valley bike. Yes, it was really fun. So... <laughs> You, have you ridden e-bikes before? No, this is my very first time. No, I only had one little test drive outside Valley Bikes for about one minute, and I was pretty happy with what I, what I felt then, and it was very similar today. And how long was the ride? 12 miles. Okay, same amount? Yeah, yeah. I was, I'm feeling a little wobbly right now. Okay. But we haven't been training enough. <laughs> We'd only done eight miles in training. On a regular bike. Had you planned to take the Valley bike, or was that... It was a last-minute thing. It turned out they were available, and we thought, let's try it, see what it's like. Did you get sponsored? We had people we were raising money for. Yeah, yeah we raised 500 odd dollars. We had about 10 people, I think, that donated. We formed a new team called Pollinators Welcome. Oh. Pollinators Welcome, because Tom is an ecological landscape designer mm. and helps people uh, attract pollinators to their habitat. Oh, Thank you for your uh, for for doing this. Oh, thank you. It's been fun. We love it. Cool. Thank you. Enjoy the the after ride. <laughs> and this is Shannon Bliven. Yes, Shannon Bliven, marketing and business development for Valley Bike Share. So you're just letting people take your bikes today. Yeah, we've been doing this for the past few years. Uh, when they register, they have the option of taking the bikes and. Uh, the first year it was only a couple people and this year we had more people who wanted to ride than we had bikes unfortunately but it worked out really well your goal was to get people on the bikes it's more about accessibility because some of the people who take the bikes aren't able to ride their own bike because of joint issues and whatnot so having the valley bike lets them ride the longer length yeah any people in perfect health and young and fit choose the valley bike option only our favorite weatherman, Brian Lapis. Okay. <laughs> he does it for fun. <laughs> I mean, I would imagine taking a valley bike just, just because I like to speed. But I like to go faster than I'm than I'm able to go under my own power. It it goes fast if you want it to. Yeah, yeah. for sure. The assist in most areas is up to 18 miles an hour, but if you're on um, the trails or downtown Northampton or UMass it's set back to 12 miles an hour, but people can still go very fast on their own power after that. What's your area normally? From Amherst to Springfield, 
and pretty much everything in between. Uh, Northampton, Holyoke, South Hadley, West Springfield, Chicopee. So we got eight towns right now and nine next year Westfield will be joining us. Very good. It's a, is it a nonprofit valley bike or is it like a hybrid? A hybrid. So the bikes and um, all of the equipment belongs to the cities that it's in. And they chose um, us, Bowiegan, as the operator for them. So we maintain the bikes, redistribute them. I do the marketing. We have a customer service team. So uh, that part is not nonprofit. Who's us again? Bowiegan. Bowiegan is a company in Canada that um, provides these bikes and the kiosks and the technology. Well, they're very fun. Everybody loves them. As always, when you get on a e-bike, it makes you smile, right? It sure does. Absolutely. It's a smile maker. But it's great to have a public option for getting around. That Maybe would you say e-bikes are more accessible even? Absolutely. I myself, I took this job when I first tried the bike. I was amazed. I hadn't been able to ride in it over 10 years because of arthritis. And um, actually, I bought myself a new bike to go to the Cape and ride the trails. And I didn't even make it a quarter mile. And I can go over 10 miles in these at a time. Yeah. And so research shows that people, contrary to the impression people have, that you're not getting exercise on a knee bag. It turns out people get more exercise. That's right, because usually they go further and longer on a knee bike because they're not, you know, um, really pushing their joints as hard as they would on a regular bike. Which is, again, I sound like I'm doing a commercial for e-bikes, but I, you know, I also appreciate the purest bikes. Thank you, Shannon. And yesterday you were at Florence Night Out. I was, I was showing off the bikes. I was hanging out with Mass Bike there and, uh, we had a great time, and people who ride uh, traditional bikes, of course, also enjoy e-bikes sometimes because it's convenient to have the public system, and if you want to go out at night and don't want to be, like, really pushing yourself, or if you have a really expensive top-notch bike, you may not want to bring it places where you could bring a valley bike and just park it. Yeah, and if you have a subscription, you just... Uh... You get the app, the official Valley Bike app, and you go up to a bike and you punch in the numbers on the handlebars, and you can take the bike out for certain spans and annual passes, unlimited 45 minutes. So you would just have to check in every 45 minutes and uh, keep on going. Go all the way from Amherst to Springfield if you want to. Great, and now we're sponsored by Valley Bike, too. Absolutely. <laughs> you can say you are. Say all the good things you want about Valley Bike, because it's awesome. All right. Thanks, Shannon Bliven. Thank you. That was Bike Talk. Check us out at biketalk.org and get in touch. Support us if you like our work. We post every week, so check back next Tuesday. Have a good week. Push on a pedal, push on a pedal, get ya. Heart started, push on a pedal, push it down and up again. Push on a pedal, push on a pedal, get ya. Heart started, push on a pedal, push it down and up again. Get on your bike, sit on the seat, put your feet on the pedal, and ride it all around, ride it all around. Get on your bike, sit on the seat, put your feet on the pedals, and ride it all around, ride it all around.